Good evening, everyone. Today, we're talking about judging others. Judgment is an important use of our agency and requires great care, especially when we make judgment about other people. All our judgments must be guided by righteous standing only God who knows each individual hearts can make final judgment for individuals. Sometimes people feel that it's wrong to judge others in any way. Why? And it's true that we should not commit commanding others who judge the understanding. We would need to make judgment of ideas, sentence, and people throughout our life. The Lord has given us many commandments that we cannot keep without making judgment. For example, he said, Beware of false prophets. You shall know them by their fruits. Then in Matthew 7, verse 15 and 16, chapter 7, verse 15 and 16, it says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they are revering wolves. Ye shall known them by their fruits. Do not men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? And go ye from among the wicked, go among from the wicked. And Don Cummins thirty eight forty two it says, And go ye from among the wicked, so yourselves be ye clean. And and that he bear the vassals of the Lord, even so, amen. We need to make judgment of people. And many of our important decisions, such as choosing friends, voting for government leaders, and choosing a spouse. The Lord gave us a warning to guide, our, guide us in our judgment of others. With, uh, without judgment, ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why behold those that meet is that the brethren eye, but consider not to the beam that thine own eye. Oh, well, what thou say to the brother, let me pull the metal of all thine eye and behind and beam in thy own eye, that habit first cause and the beam out of their own eye. Thou shalt see clearly, cast the motion out of thy brother's, brother's eye. And then Second Nephi chapter 14, verse 2 and 5, it says, For whether thy judgment, judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Whether what measure ye meet, it shall be measured. To you again, and and why behold thou sh- the mote mot that is the brother eye, but consider that the beam that is in thine eye, who will they shall say to thy brother, let me pull thy mote uh, out of thy eye, and behold, it beam is thy own eye, the hypocrite for first cast. The beam, uh, beam out of thy own eye, thou shalt thou see clearly, and to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. In the scriptures passage, the Lord teaches uh, that fault, fault 
we see in Edit the often like tiny speak in the person's eye, com- uh, comprehending to our own faults, which is our like instant beam in our eyes. Sometimes we first focus on others' faults when we should f- instead be working on to improve ourselves. A righteous judgment about others uh, can provide needed guidance for the, them and and in the same case, pretending for us and our families, we should appeal at any such judgment with the comprehension as much as we can. We should judge people instead of whether they judge the people themselves. Whenever possible, we should refrain from making judgment. We have a crimping uh, knowledge of fact, the facts, and we should always be striving to the Holy Spirit who we can guide our direction. Alma causes to his son concerning is a helpful reminder. So see that ye are manif- manifest unto you, brethren, to deal judging, uh, just judge, righteousness do good concerningly. And then Alma 41.14 it says, Therefore, my son, see that ye are manifest unto your brethren, deal just Justly judge righteousness and do good commonly, and if we do all these things, then shall we ye receive your reward. Yea, ye shall have mercy restored unto you again. Ye shall have justice restored unto you again. Yea, ye shall be having righteousness and judgment restored unto you again. And ye shall have good reward unto you again. And then First uh, Samuel sixteen seven says, "But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not in his concerning, oh, not the high of his in, uh, status, because I have referred him. For the Lord saith, Not a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart." And then Moroni seven fourteen through nineteen it says, "Wherefore take heed." My brother's brethren, that ye do not judge that which is evil to be of God, or that which is good, uh, which is good of God to be of the devil. For behold, my brethren, it is given unto you to judge that ye may know good from evil, that and the way to judge the plan, and that ye may know what the perfect knowledge as the delight in from the dark night. For behold, my brethren, brethren, is given unto you to judge that ye may know from evil that ye, the way to judge and plain that ye may know with the perfect knowledge and the delight is from the dark night. For behold, the Spirit of Christ is given every man that the, he, he many know good from evil. Wherefore, I show you unto the way to judge for good is the uh, good is purpose to believe believe in Christ is forth by the power and gift of Christ. Wherefore ye may know, with the perfect knowledge, it is of God. Whosoever things produce men to do evil, believe in not Christ, deny him, and serve not 
God with ye may know with a perfect knowledge is the devil for after minute minute for death the devil. Judging not and judging. President Donald H. Oaks. This is in August 1999. Oh. Uh, if you want to read that, you can go ahead and read that. Um, the Weight Matters of the Law of Judgment, Mercy and Faith by President James E. Fouts. My beloved brothers and sisters and friends, I have prayed earnestly that you might understand my words this morning in the spirit which is intended. I therefore seek your faith and prayers in my behalf. Jesus of Nazareth described his ultimate work. This is my work and glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. His work is accomplished through the gospel, which carries the impress of the Savior himself. I humbly wish to speak of the essence of the gospel. The Savior taught that judgment, mercy, and faith are the weightier matters of the law. I wish to state unequivocally that the commandments of God must be kept to receive the blessings and promises of the Savior. The Ten Commandments are still a vital thread in the fabric of the gospel of Christ. But with his coming came new light and life, which brings a full measure of joy and happiness. Jesus introduced a higher and more difficult standard of human conduct. It is simpler as well as more difficult because it focuses on internal rather than external requirements. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Love your neighbors yourself. When smitten, turn the other cheek. When asked for a coat, give your cloak also. Forgive, not just once, but 70 times 7. This was the essence of the new gospel. There was more emphasis on do than do not. Moral agency was given to each of us. Joseph Smith, the prophet of the dispensation of the fullness of times, established the church by revelation as the receptacle of gospel truth. He brought more light, warmth, and joy into the church through the numerous lofty revelations, such as how the priesthood should be exercised. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood. Only by persuasion, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and by love and faith. This high standard of conduct, if lived, will bring to fruition a promise. Men are that they might have joy. Over the centuries, dogmatism, coercion, and intolerance have too often polluted the living water of the gospel, which quenches our spiritual thirst eternally. The Savior observed this in his day. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier manners of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Similarly, Paul said, The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. We are not only to avoid evil, not only to do good, but most importantly to to do those things of greatest worth. We are to focus on the inward things of the heart, which we know and value intuitively, but often neglect for that which is trivial, superficial, or prideful. The saving principles and doctrines of the church are established, fixed, and unchangeable. Obedience to these absolutes is necessary to enjoy peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. However, the manner in which the church administers complex and varied worldwide challenges changes from time to time. Under the guidance of living prophets, new guidelines and procedures are put in place. I welcome these inspired changes. They are proof of the truthfulness of the restored gospel. I have some fear, however, that some members consider guidelines and procedures to be as important as the timeless, immutable laws of the gospel, such as, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Rather than some legalistic definition of adultery, the Savior's more enlightened direction is that the thought is father to the deed. He that looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. Who decides what is right and wrong in given circumstances? Where does the responsibility for the making of moral judgments rest? With mature individuals, of course, it rests with each individual. In the case of children, the responsibility of giving moral guidance rests with the parents. They know the disposition, understanding, and intelligence of each child. Parents spend a lifetime seeking to establish and maintain good communications with each of their children. They are in the best position to make the ultimate moral decisions as to the welfare and well-being of their offspring. The higher principles of the gospel, justice, mercy, and faith, are very important in all family relationships. Many years ago, when I was a bishop, a conscientious father came to me for counsel. He felt that the many and frequent activities of the church made it difficult to have as much family togetherness as he and his family deemed necessary. The children had the idea that they were not loyal to the church if they did not participate fully in every recreational activity. I told this caring father that church activities were to help him and his wife rear their children. They, as parents, had not only the right, but the duty to determine the extent of their family's involvement in social activities. 
family unity, solidarity, and harmony should be preserved. After all, a family is the basic permanent use unit of the church. There are three sources of guidance for making moral judgments. The first is the guidance of the Holy Ghost. This is always a sure compass for those who have been baptized and received this supernal gift. The second source is the wise counsel of priesthood leaders whom the Lord has put in place to guide us. Third, the constant demonstration of love should temper all our judgments. Sometimes this means discipline. The prophet Joseph Smith was once asked how he governed so diverse a people. His answer was, I teach them correct principles and they govern themselves. This statement is just as true today as it was in Joseph's time. There must be listening ears and obedience to the living prophet of the church. President Marion G. Romney stated it well, and I quote, It is an easy thing to believe in dead prophets, but it is a greater thing to believe in the living prophets. I will give you an illustration. One day when President Grant was living, I sat in my office across the street following a general conference. A man came over to see me, an elderly man. He was very upset about what had been said in this conference by some of the brethren, including myself. I could tell from his speech that he came from a foreign land. After I had quieted him enough so that he would listen, I said, why did you come to America? I came here because a prophet of God told me to come. Who is that prophet, I continued? Wilfred Woodruff. Do you believe that Wilfred Woodruff was a prophet of God? Yes, he said. Do you believe that his successor, Lorenzo, President Lorenzo Snow, was a prophet of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Joseph F. Smith was a prophet of God? Yes, sir. Then came the $64 question. Do you believe that Heber J. Grant is a prophet of God? His answer, I think he ought to keep his mouth shut about old age assistance. <laughs> Today we have a living prophet, President Gordon B. Hinckley, whom we sustain as the prophet of our day. He has warned us to speak up for moral standards in a world where filth, sleaze, pornography, and their whole evil brood are sweeping over us as a flood. His counsel to us in our day is, stand up for integrity in your business, in your profession, in your home, in the society of which you are part. Indeed, moral standards must be maintained. In large measure, those who are disobedient punish themselves. As the Lord said to Jeremiah, thine own wickedness, through Jeremiah, thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Those entrusted with the judicial responsibility in the kingdom of God must see that the church remains clean so that the living waters of life flow unimpeded. However, 
True religion is not looking primarily for weaknesses, faults, and errors. It is the spirit of strengthening and overlooking faults, even as we would wish our own faults to be overlooked. When we focus our entire attention on what may be wrong rather than what is right, we miss the sublime beauty and essence of the sweet gospel of the Master. Judgment, the weightier matter of the law mentioned by the Savior, cannot be separated from the other two, mercy and faith. Shakespeare wrote of the quality of mercy. Speaking through Portia, he said, we do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. I am frank to admit that when I say my prayers, I do not ask for justice, I ask for mercy. One of the great examples of mercy in our time was extended by the prophet Joseph to W.W. W. Phelps during the trouble of the saints in the state of Missouri. Elder Phelps fell into apostasy after suffering buffetings on June 29, 1840, while in Dayton, Ohio, W.W. Phelps wrote to the prophet Joseph, I have seen the folly of my way, and I tremble at the gulf I have passed. I will repent and live, and ask my old brethren to forgive me. And though they chasten me to death, yet I will die with them. For their God is my God. The least place with them is enough for me. Yea, it is bigger and better than all of Babylon. I have done wrong, and I am sorry. I have not walked along with my friends according to my holy anointing. I ask forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ of all the saints. For I will do right. God helping me. I want your fellowship. If you cannot grant that, grant me your peace and friendship. For we are brethren, and our communion used to be sweet. To this the prophet Joseph replied, It is true that we have suffered much in consequence of your behavior. The cup of gall, already full enough, was indeed filled to overflowing when you turned against us, one with whom we had oft taken sweet counsel together and enjoyed many refreshing seasons from the Lord. Had it been an enemy, we could have borne it. However, the cup has been drunk, the will of our Father has been done, and we are yet alive. And having been delivered from the hands of wicked men by the mercy of our God, we say it is your privilege to be delivered from the powers of the adversary and take again your stand among the saints of the Most High and by diligence, humility, love and faith, commend yourself to our God and your God and to the Church of Jesus Christ. Believing your confession to be real and your repentance genuine, I will be happy once again to give you the right hand of fellowship and rejoice over the returning prodigal. Come on, dear brother, 
since the war is past, for friends at first are friends again at last. Yours as ever, Joseph Smith, Jr. W.W. Phelps remained true and faithful and wrote the words to the marvelous hymn, Praise to the Man, affirming his great love and admiration for the prophet Joseph. Praise the man who communed with Jehovah. Jesus anointed that prophet and seer. Blessed to open the last dispensation, kings shall extol him and nations revere. The childlike faith of a follower of the divine Christ is a choice spiritual gift. It can be enjoyed by young and old. In the early days of the church, a young boy by the name of Will Clough, 10 years of age, living in Nauvoo, had a remarkable pure faith. He had an experience to which many of us can relate. His family was poor and had only one cow, which they depended on for food. In the spring of 1842, the cow strayed off. One evening in August, his father came home very weary and discouraged. He and Will's brothers had spent much of the summer looking for the cow. Will said, Father, if you let me take Charlie, an old horse, I will go and find the cow. He reluctantly said he could. The next morning, Will rode to the big mound three miles east and in the prairie country. Here he had often herded cows with other boys from Nauvoo. He got off the horse and holding it by the bridle, knelt down and fervently prayed the Lord to direct him which way to go to find the cow. He climbed back on the horse and rode south, a course he was impressed to take, even though there were numerous bunches of cattle in every direction. After traveling a few miles in the open prairie and passing hundreds of cattle, Will came to a fence. He dismounted and let down the stake, led his horse in, put up the fence, and then rode three miles across the field. He again found himself in the open prairie with numerous bunches of stock in every direction. When he had gone about a quarter of a mile from the field, he rode right onto the cow, feeding alone some distance from any other animals. Will started to drive the cow in the direction of the city. He arrived late in the evening, full of joy and thankful to his Father in heaven. I fear that some of our greatest sins are sins of omission. These are some of the weightier matters of the law. The Savior said we should not leave undone. These are the thoughtful, caring deeds we fail to do and feel so guilty for having neglected them. As a small boy on the farm during the searing heat of the summer, I remember my grandmother Mary Finlinson cooking our delicious meals on a hot wood stove. When the wood box next to the empty stove became empty, grandmother would silently pick up the box and go out to refill it from the pile of cedar wood outside. 
and bring the heavily laden box back into the house. I was so insensitive and interested in the conversation in the kitchen, I sat there. And let my beloved grandmother refill the kitchen wood box. I feel ashamed of myself and have regretted my mission. For all of my life, I hope someday to ask for her forgiveness. We are directed into the pathway to the kingdom of God by the Savior's own words, said he. The kingdom of God is nigh unto you. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are shown the way into the kingdom of God on earth. In the same way, those who extend judgment, mercy, and faith, and forgiveness exhibit a greatness of soul and mind consistent with the spirit of the Lord's teachings and example. This higher gospel requires that we look inward to our own souls for we cannot deceive the Lord. We are told that the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. Those of us who hold the holy apostleships always wish to fulfill our responsibility by testifying to the divinity of the Savior. I feel compelled to do so. I have had a testimony all of my life. Recently, however, there has come into my soul an overpowering witness of the divinity of this holy work. This sure witness is more certain than ever before in my life. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Das in October 1997 during a conference. We should never judge other people by their books and the covers. You know what they've been through. No one's perfect. Um, sometimes when we judge other people, it could hurt people too. Because we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I try to be perfect, but sometimes we can't judge other people without us knowing it. Sometimes we, do, we don't do it intentionally. But sometimes when we do, we feel bad. But we make sure, if you do do that, make sure you go apologize to someone like that. Because you don't know what they've been through. Try to be respectful. Try to not to down people, judge them. Oh, you did that. Oh, you did this. But go out there and love them. Try to love them at all time. When you do love them, that makes them feel happier. Um, when you do do that, it... Brings them better joy in bringing people happiness 
through life not judging. When you do judge, it hurts them. When I try not to judge, it brings much brighter light. But no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. The only person who's perfect is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who doesn't judge. He does. He judge, but judge out of love, not out of spite. When we do judge, try not to do that. But when we do, it's we're trying to do for other things. Like in a court case, you have to judge them because they did something bad. That's totally different from you doing out of mean, out of spite, judging them out of spite. That's what we should never do. But judging what they said, um, those false prophets, we had to judge for that. You had to do that. Because when we do that, it hurts us. This last one, by DDF Uktuf, judging others, stop it. This topic of judging others could actually be taught in a two-word sermon. When it comes to hating, gossiping, ignoring, ridiculing, holding grudges, or wanting to cause harm, please apply the following. Stop it. (laughs) It's that simple. We simply have to stop judging others and replace judgmental thoughts and feelings and with a heart full of love for God and his children. God is our father. We are his children. We are all brothers and sisters. I don't know exactly how to articulate this point of not judging others with sufficient eloquence passion and persuasion to make it stick. I can quote scripture, I can try to expound doctrine, and I will even quote a bumper sticker I recently saw. (laughs) It was attached to the back of a car whose driver appeared to be a little rough around the edges. But the words on the sticker taught an insightful lesson. It read, Don't judge me because I sin differently than you. (laughs) We must recognize that we are all imperfect, that we are beggars before God. Haven't we all, at one time or another, meekly approached the mercy seat and pleaded for grace? Haven't we wished with all the energy of our souls for mercy to be forgiven for the mistakes we have made and the sins we have committed? Because we all depend on the mercy of God. How can we deny to others any measure of the grace we so desperately desire for ourselves. My beloved brothers and sisters, should we not forgive as we wish to be forgiven? The people around us are not perfect. People do things that annoy, disappoint, and anger. In this mortal life, it will always be that way. Nevertheless, We must let go of our grievances. 
Part of the purpose of mortality is to learn how to let go of such things. That is the Lord's way. Just please be mindful. Don't judge the people by the book of the cover. Sometimes they have different things they've done in their lives. But that doesn't mean they're good. They're still good people. Just don't judge the people. Let's stop it. What President um, Arutov uh, said. Please just stop it. You're bringing better light and happiness to other people. I promise that when you do that, not judging others, you'd be a much happier person. I promise that. I say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I hope you guys have a great day and a great evening. Talk to you later. Love you. Bye-bye.